Please join me in prayer. And we want to begin our prayers today by praying for our mission team. And then I'll close with praying for our congregation. Father God, thank you so much for this special group of servants going to spread the good news in Honduras. We pray for their safety as they travel and the peace of bond of the families back home as they're away. We pray that their work will open even more hearts for the beautiful life and life-changing love you have for us through your son, Jesus Christ. In your son's name we pray, amen. Thank you. Father God, thank you, thank you, thank you that we can be here on this beautiful day, that we can come together and spend time talking about your son, Jesus, that we can worship so freely. We continue to learn from our worldwide mission partners that this is something for which we must be very grateful that we take this gift so for granted here in the United States. We, live up and pray, we lift up and pray for our Christian brothers and sisters around the world who are ostracized and persecuted as they worship you. We lift up and pray for all in Ukraine as they needlessly suffer under the attacks of Russia. These days in which we live are troubled times and there's so much of what is right and good is being challenged and common sense and simple logic are being dismissed with an alternative reality. It is the greatest peace knowing that you are on the throne. Lord, we lift up and pray for the wisdom of our local, state, and national leaders, that they would seek your wisdom in shaping their opinions as they prepare to lead, that they would turn to you, the greatest leader of all, for inspiration. Lord, we pray in our own church family for Kathy Gerardo, Paul Compton, Kate Lloyd, who will all be having surgery this week, as we pray for Joe Nichols and Jess Rutledge as they recover from surgery. We happily pray for our third graders who receive their Bibles today. And again, Lord, we just lift up and thank you so much for our group as they go to serve and pray with Forgotten Children's Ministries in Honduras. We ask all these things, Lord, in your son's precious name. Amen. I'm so thankful to serve at a church where we give Bibles to third graders. It's a privilege to be a pastor at a church where we hold God's word in high regard, and we encourage one another to do so more and more. As a matter of fact, for some of those third graders who are still in the room, uh, Pastor John made a good deal for you. Uh, he encouraged you, he challenged you uh, to read the Gospel of Mark and do so on your own or with your parents, and that's a great challenge, and I just want to sweeten the deal just a little bit. Uh, if you'll read the Gospel of Mark as Pastor John uh, told you to, and then you'll just come see me any Sunday morning and just tell me two sentences, two or three sentences, summarize the Gospel of Mark for me, I'm going to give you $10. I'm so in excited you might read the Gospel of Mark. So if you'll read it and, uh, and, and read the whole thing, get any help you need, and then come and just two or three sentences, tell me what it's, tell me what it's about, uh, I'll give you $10. And not only that, I want you to know there's a great hint in today's passage about what the gospel of John is all about. There's a particular sentence in today's passage that will help you give me two or three sentences if you're listening carefully. And if you read the all of gospel, uh, gospel of Mark with your parents and uh, tell me you were bored, I'll give you $5, but I don't anticipate uh, doing that. We're in the gospel of Mark. And Jesus has been on the way, on the way. This phrase, they're on the way, keeps popping up 
Jesus and the disciples are on the way. If we had a map of that part of the world in our heads, we would know they had been up kind of in the northern part in Galilee. They've been on both sides of the Jordan River, and they're now going to go up to Jerusalem. Up in this part of the world doesn't mean to go north, but actually to go south because Jerusalem was a much higher elevation from where they were. At one point, they were near the Dead Sea, about 1,400 feet below sea level. When they get to Jerusalem, they're going to be 2,500 feet above sea level. And so it's a big it's a big journey up to Jerusalem. And all through this passage, Jesus and the disciples have been on the way, on the way, on the way. And today we get a very climactic sentence in our passage where Jesus is telling us why he's so committed to get to Jerusalem and why he wants to take you and me on the way to the cross with him. Would you give your attention with me to the reading of the gospel of Mark chapter 10, verse 32 to 45. It's in your Bible. It's also in this worship God on page 14. Here it is again. And they were on the way going up to Jerusalem and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed and those who followed were afraid. And taking the 12 again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him saying, see, we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes And they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you were asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand, Or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. All flesh is like grass and all its glory is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Oh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you that in your grace you've gathered us to yourself, named us as your very own children. Now we ask you in Jesus' name that you would help us now through the word and through the Holy Spirit to see what Jesus calls us to, where he leads us, and what he does for us. Help us rest ourselves in him. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to show you uh, four things from this passage today uh, that come right out of the passage, I believe, and they all have to do with the way 
to or way of the cross. First of all, I want you to see with me, see Jesus lead the way to the cross. Secondly, we're going to see that some disciples resist the way of the cross. Thirdly, we're going to hear Jesus explain the way of the cross, the pattern of the cross-shaped life. And finally, we're going to hear Jesus explain the why of the cross. So I want you to see with me, Jesus lead the way to the cross. See with me that some disciples resist the way of the cross. Hear Jesus explain the way of the cross. And then hear Jesus explain the why. The why. Why must he go to Jerusalem and to the cross? So we'll dive in. First of all, see Jesus lead the way to the cross. It's right there in verses 32 and following. They were on the way. That's the pattern. They're traveling. They're traveling. They're on the move, going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus was walking ahead of them. It amazed some and scared some. He is driven. His face is set like flint. He is determined to get to Jerusalem. He's already told them twice that when he goes, he's on a journey. And when he gets to the destination, he's going to be handed over. He's already told them twice. He's going to be killed and raised on the third day. And now, even though he's told them that, they really haven't heard it. But he is bound and determined to get to Jerusalem. He's a good leader because he's out ahead and they're following him. He's purposeful in his leadership. He's determined. He knows the plan of God and he's following it with great determination. He's a good leader because he's leading purposefully, but also note that he's communicating. He's following a plan, but he's communicating very clearly. Uh, In 831, the beginning of this journey, uh, Jesus began to teach them the son of man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and then be killed and on the third day rise again. That's 831. In the middle of the journey, 931, he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the son of man is going to be delivered in the hands of men and they will kill him. And when he is killed, when he's killed in the third day, he rise again. So he's a good leader because he's been communicating. He's been telling them the truth. He's out in front, but he's also transparent. He's telling them what's going to happen to him, their leader. But in today's passage, he's transparent even when it's the worst case scenario. And since he's dropped the hint, he's told them clearly once, he's told them clearly twice. Now he gives them very clear, very specific descriptions of what's going to happen to him. And so it's in verses 33 and 34, taking the 12 again. He's a good leader. He's a good teacher because he repeats himself. He began to tell them what was going to happen to him. He's not leading them now to their suffering, but his own. And here's what he said. Here's the, now he gives more detail. He's very transparent. See, we are going up to Jerusalem. That's the destination. And the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes. And they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. So look at what a great, leader Jesus is. Jesus is leading them on the way to the cross. He's out ahead of them. He's purposeful. He's clear. And even though there's a worst case scenario to be described, he doesn't shrink back, but he tells them the truth. He tells them what's going to happen to him. And it's brutal. 
put those things together. He tells them the brutal truth, and yet he's still out ahead of them, and he's leading them all. He's not dragging his feet. They're not dragging him to Jerusalem. He just said, the religious leaders are going to condemn me to death, referring to himself as the son of man. The religious leaders in the royal city of Jerusalem are going to condemn me to death, and then they're going to hand me over to the Gentiles, and the Gentiles will mock me and spit on me and flog me and kill me. That's what's coming. So Jesus is a good leader. He's telling them the truth, and what's going to happen to him will be brutal, but at least he's been transparent about that. And please note the pattern that Jesus is explaining will happen to him and then we'll see him call us to a similar pattern. Note the pattern. Pattern. It's suffering first, condemned, mocked, spit upon, flogged, and killed. And then on the third day, after the third day, he'll rise again. It's suffering first and then glory. Suffering first for Jesus, pain and sorrow and misery first, and then he'll be vindicated as the obedient son, the true son of man, the one who deserves worship and honor and glory. But that's the pattern, suffering and humiliation first and then glory. And so Jesus is leading the way to the cross. We'll come back later and talk more about the condemnation by the religious leaders and him being handed over to the Gentiles because that's how rebellious sons are treated. But secondly, I want you to see with me that some of the disciples resist the way of the cross. Jesus has just said, I want you to know what's going to happen to me. We're going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be condemned. I'm going to be mocked, spit upon, beaten, and killed. And James and John walk up and say, Jesus, we want you to do something very important for us. James and John want glory first, and they'd like to skip the suffering. They want to sit in and share in Jesus' authority and his glory. But they don't want to hear any more words about suffering and humiliation. Verse 35, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder, came up to Jesus and said, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask you. Jesus, we'd like for you to be our personal genie. We have a plan for our lives and it's pretty awesome and we'd like for you to make sure it happens. And then they say, they acknowledge that he's gonna come into his glory. And here's what they ask for. We, Jesus, all we want is to sit on your right and your left. So those are the positions of the highest authority and the most honor. That's all James and John are asking for. We just wanna have the most power and the most glory with you, Jesus. We wanna share with you in your glory and your honor. He's just finished a sentence about being spit upon. Publicly humiliated, flogged with whips with bones in them and put to death and they saddle up to him and they want to share in his authority and his glory. The picture they have in mind actually comes from Daniel 7. There's lots of pictures of messianic banquets and uh, future glory uh, for the Messiah. But the one they have in mind is Daniel 7. Uh, and it's really important. It's where Jesus gets the phrase, the son of man. He keeps referring to himself as the son of man for all kinds of reasons. But one of the most significant and important ones is there's a picture. There's a, there's a person, a son of man in Daniel 7 who comes into the very 
heaven of glory and is before God himself, the ancient of days. And he's like a son of man. And he goes in there and it's a vision Daniel has. And he goes in there to receive glory and honor and dominion and kingdoms. And that's the picture James and John have in their head. Jesus, you're the real Messiah. You're the real son of man. You're going to be exalted to heaven. And all the rule and authority and dominion and kings are going to be given to you. We just want to be on your left hand and your right hand. That's all we want. We just want to share in that royal authority and all that glory that you're going to get. And that's the picture. It's really interesting what Daniel says Daniel 7, here's the vision. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there became one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days. Verse 14, to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. Jesus, when all peoples and nations and kings and leaders come and serve you, we just want to be on your right and your left. So see, some disciples don't like the way of the cross. They don't, we don't want to suffer first and then be vindicated. We want to be vindicated and experience glory and authority and power now and skip the suffering part. I don't know if you're like me, but when I hear James and John's request, it reminds me of parts of my heart's in it, heart and it's like looking in the mirror. Do you ever get in a squabble because you want good credit and no bad credit? You ever get in a fight because you weren't given the honor that you deserved? You ever get in a fight because you failed to give someone the honor they deserved? Because you were focused on your own glory, your own honor, your own position, your own authority, your own will, your own way. If you watch me closely enough and carefully enough for long enough, you'll see that at times I'll run over people to get my way. Are you like me? is getting your way sometimes the most important thing in your home, in your marriage, at work, in the life of the church. So you see some disciples resist the pattern of the kingdom and that's two of the 12. And then look with me, uh, then Jesus talks about his cup and his baptism. We'll come back to that. And then uh, Jesus says, you know, it's really not even mine to grant who sits on my right and my left. That's verse 40. And so he's rebuking James and John for this request. And look at verse 41. And when the 10 heard it, that's all the rest of the disciples that would become apostles. They began to be indignant at James and John. So you've got two who are asking to be vindicated with glory and power without suffering. And 10 who are really indignant with them for making that request and leaving them out. So I'm not great at math, but what's 10 plus 2? I don't really like my second point, that there are some disciples who resist the ray of the cross. The truth is we all resist it. Maybe you're not as sinful as me in craving dignity and honor, but maybe you're indignant when you watch people like me do it. And it all comes from pride. A strong desire to have my way. Have you failed? As a disciple, have you failed as a leader? Me too. So you and I need to hear Jesus explain the way of the cross one more time. He is a good teacher. He loves us. 
He wants us to flourish in ways that are bigger and better than we can imagine today. Just for a minute, think about this awesome team we're sending to Honduras. We're sending them to Honduras and how glad we are. They're going to go partner with Ashley Sin and the, and the board and the ministry of FCM. And they're going to the farm and we're sending juniors and seniors in high school and some of their parents. And we want to go down there. We want them to go down there and be bossy and mean and selfish. It's not what we want. We want them to go down there and be humble servants. To love children who need to be loved well. To partner with people who day in and day out are giving their lives away so that orphans can flourish. Just think about how we want them to comport themselves. We want them to go and work well as a team and be real servants and to help each other and to take the lowest places and and to not imagine that there's any work that's too low for them. We want them to give themselves to the Lord and to one another and to the orphans there. Of course we do. And that's exactly what Jesus is explaining as the way of the cross. Here Jesus explained the way of the cross In verse 42 and following, look what Jesus does. He's got two disciples who want to be in charge and 10 who were mad at those two. And Jesus called them to him. He's got two that want to be in charge of everything and have all the glory and 10 that are mad at the two. And Jesus calls them to him. Come to me. And he said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Hey, brothers, you know what the pagans are like. The ones who don't know God, the ones who don't know the creator, the ones who don't know that they're made in God's image and everyone they are with are made in God's image. You know what they're like. They lord it over people. You've seen it. And their great ones exercise authority over them. You, you know what the pagans who don't know God, how they wear their authority with a strong hand so everyone knows that they're in charge. You know what they're like, but it shall not be so among you. There's a different pattern for you, people of God. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. That is the lowest, most humble servant of all. This is Jesus explaining to us the way of the cross. Is Jesus saying there is no authority? Not at all. Jesus is saying the more authority you have, the more privileges you have, the higher position you have, the more accountable you are to serve people with your privilege with your power, with your authority. Your authority, if you have it, your position, if you have it, your power, if you have it, is not given that you would enhance your life, but it's given to you that you would serve others. In the story of the Bible, there's someone who comes into the story with the most glory and honor and power and authority that anyone has ever had. And he offers himself as a servant, the Lord Jesus himself, We need to hear Jesus explain the way of the cross, the pattern of the Christian life, suffering, humility, service now, vindication and glory later. So let me ask you some questions I've been asking myself and not doing too well. With with whatever positions and power that you've been given, how are you doing uh, as a disciple and as a servant? 
Have you failed as a husband and as a dad to be a humble leader and a servant leader so that you see your position and power given to you to help others flourish well? Have you been failing as a parent, a mother or father, giving God-given position and power to nurture your children in whatever positions and power you have at, at work? Do you use your positions and power just to enhance yourself or do you remember the people who have less power than you do in the life of the church? If you're an elder like I am or a deacon or a leader in so many ways, are we rendering our service as leaders, as humble servants? If you failed in any of these ways, you're in a big, unhappy at times club with me. We've all failed as leaders if we've been called to lead and we've all failed as disciples. There's no one in the room who hasn't failed to embrace the pattern that Jesus has given us here in his wisdom and his love in his plan to bless us. There's no one in the room who has not failed. And that's why you must hear with me, not just Jesus explain the way of the cross, but please with me hear Jesus explain the why of the cross. Jesus didn't just go to the cross to set a pattern for us. Jesus went to the cross to be the savior of us. People like me and you who fail. So verse 45, and if you're a third grader and you want to come get $10, listen carefully now. Before I read verse 45, I want you to see that Jesus is about to affirm James's picture and John's picture. Jesus, when you come into your glory, can we sit on your right and your left? Jesus is the son of man. And he is going to be raised on the third day and he will ascend to heaven and he will be on the right hand of God, the father and nations and kings and rulers will come and serve him. The day is coming when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. Everyone's going to see who the true Lord is and everyone will bow down and serve him. Jesus is the son of man and he does deserve obedience and service and glory from us. But look at what he says. That's why he uses the word even. I want you guys to learn to be servants for even the son of man. You're right, James and John, I will come into my glory. You're right, James and John, all the kingdoms will belong to me. You're right, James and John, I'll have the authority in heaven and on earth. But even the son of man came not to be served at first, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Don't you see what's going on here? Jesus is saying, I really am the son of man. I really will be glorified. Everyone really will serve me, but I came to serve first. And what Jesus is doing here in this little wonderful sentence is he's taking all that picture from Daniel 9, the glorified son of man, and he's marrying it to those passages that Richard read for us about the suffering servant who in love gives his life in the place of sinners. Jesus is saying, I'm both. 
And if you want to live into the, uh, the eternal kingdom with the Lord Jesus Christ and share in his authority and glory forever, you got to put your faith in Jesus, the son of man who gave his life as a ransom for many. Look at it with me really carefully. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Uh, the metaphor here, ransom, means to set people free. Sinners are enslaved, but Jesus came to set you free. Sinners are enslaved to debts that we can never pay. We owe God constant glory, perfect glory, ever all the time. And we've always failed to give God the glory and honor that he deserves. We have nothing but debts before a holy and righteous God. But Jesus has come to pay our debts. He's come to ransom us so that we're set free. We'll no longer be slaves to sin and we'll have no debts to pay. Jesus came to give his life in our place. His life for us so that our debts would be paid, our sins would be dealt with, our condemnation would land on him, and we would be forgiven. We'd be released from sin and bondage and guilt and debt and perfectly forever. Jesus came not first to be served, but to serve and to give his life in the place as a ransom in the place of many, everyone who would believe in him. Just remember, we skipped some things or we ran past some things. Did you hear it in the passage? Jesus said, I'm going to Jerusalem to where the religious leaders live and they're going to condemn me to get to death. Jesus, who is righteous and obedient, will be condemned in the place of sinners. Hallelujah. Jesus says, they're going to condemn me and hand me over to the Gentiles. That's exactly how God treated his disobedient covenant-breaking people in the Old Testament. When God's people rebelled against him, what did he do? He handed them over to the nations and said, you'll experience my judgment at the hand of the nations. Jesus is condemned, though he has no sin of his own. And then he's handed over to the nations like a disobedient covenant-breaker. If you can agree with me that apart from Jesus, you deserve to be condemned, and apart from Jesus, we deserve to be handed over to God's judgment. Then you can see that Jesus was condemned in our place, handed over to judgment for our sakes. So judgment would fall on him and not fall on us. And that's what the cup and the baptism are about. J Jesus says, James and John, are you able to drink the cup that I'm going to drink and receive the baptism I'm going to be baptized with? And they're like, we are able. Well, Jesus has not affirmed their ability. He then says something interesting. You actually are going to drink that cup and you are going to be baptized. And what he means there is a, a double wonderful things. Uh, on the one hand, you, are got, you guys are going to end up suffering like I'm going to suffer. But also, I'm going to put in the cup of salvation in your hand and you're going to get washed. All your sins will be washed away because of me. But think about what these words mean for Jesus. His cup, his baptism. By Jesus saying, referring to his cup, once again, all through the Old Testament, there is a cup of God's wrath coming for the wicked, for the ungodly. God's wrath will be poured out for a cup and the wicked and the ungodly will drink God's cup of wrath. Jesus is saying, I'm going to drink the cup of God's wrath. And what does Jesus mean by his baptism? Jesus means that he himself is going to be engulfed with condemnation 
and judgment so that we would not be engulfed with condemnation and judgment. So people like you and me are people who can look at our baptism and say, because Jesus gave himself as a ransom for many, I'm washed by him, I'm clean. And if, since Jesus took the cup of salvation and drank it fully, he'll put the cup of salvation in your hand if you believe in him in just a minute. Jesus, who was fully God, drank the cup of God's wrath fully for us in our place in order that he might put the cup of salvation into our hands so we can drink it fully. So we could drink in God's full and complete and perfect forgiveness. If you believe in Jesus and you've been baptized and you've been welcomed to this table, you get to come today and eat. Remembering that he gave his body for you and we will put in his name the cup of salvation in your hand because of what he did, all your sins are washed away. We are a fed and forgiven people. Let's pray and meet him at his table. Lord Jesus, thank you for offering yourself as a guilt offering to set us free from all guilt and condemnation. Lord, we're ready to come and receive the blood of the covenant, which was poured out for many, including us, at your table. Feed us now, nourish us. Amen.